Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Drabblecast, episode 195. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, this week's show is brought to you by a pretty cool episode sponsor that I think you folks are going to dig. It's a book, a space thriller, with just the right mix of creepy space stations, homicidal maniacs, and catastrophic Earth impacts by massive asteroids. Orbital Maneuvers by R.C. Davison. I'm going to run a little excerpt from the book in a second here as an audio promo, give you just a taste of the kick-assery you're getting yourself into here with this thing. You might want to buckle your safety belt for this one, folks. You're going to need them. Space travel opens up whole new categories of peril. I mean, think about it. Why else do you think dangerous and shitty cars are always named things like Pontiac Sunfire and Saturn Ion? (laughs) And man, if you think their consumer safety ratings are bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. They don't even use crash test dummies in outer space. They use continue to move in a straight line at a constant speed. Test. Dummies. Anyways, I digress. Roll the clip. Susan's heart was beating faster and louder. She couldn't hear the pumps and motors in her suit any longer. Her breathing was coming in short gasps. She knew it was coming. She could feel it. Susan watched in terror as high above the payload bay, the leading edge of the monster, jagged, black, tortured, and cratered, made its appearance. The asteroid was slowly rotating, as it had been for eons. This rotation, combined with its jagged shape, gave the illusion that the monster was beginning to reach out toward the shuttle, stretching out a fin or arm to catch whatever was there. The appendage grew closer until the very tip of it grazed the top of the shuttle, sending a deadly cloud of shattered tiles toward the back of the payload bay. The spray of ceramic shrapnel shredded the insulation on the side wall, and the shower of debris in turn shattered tiles that covered the shuttle's engine pods and rudder. The asteroid blazed by in a wink of an eye as it bore on toward its rendezvous with Earth. Susan watched, horrified, as the beast literally punched a hole into the atmosphere. She couldn't pull her eyes away until the shuttle's own tumbling and spinning turned her view from Earth to the darkness of space.
orbital maneuvers takes you on a thrilling ride with the crew members of the Space Shuttle Endeavor as they struggle for survival in the aftermath of a catastrophic asteroid impact on Earth. Damaged beyond repair, low on fuel and venting precious oxygen, the Endeavor is a sinking lifeboat for her crew. Time is running out, and first-time shuttle commander Susan Corrin must rely on every ounce of her training and experience to save her crew. Their only hope for survival, attempt to rendezvous with the International Space Station and raise its orbit from the growing debris cloud that threatens to destroy it. All while bearing witness to the ultimate disaster of mankind, unfolding on the planet below. Orbital Maneuvers, a new novel by R.C. Davison. Earth is only 200 miles away, but it may as well be light years. Find out more and read the first seven chapters free at orbitalmaneuvers.com. Well, there you go. Don't be a dummy, particularly the outer space crash test variety. Go give her a gander. The first seven chapters for free? Can't beat that. Links to purchase the rest in print or ebook form are also available at Davison's site there and at the usual places like Amazon.com. Good times. All right, you know what? I'm ready for a drabble. How about you? Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, and I bet you could write a great one. Go ahead and give it a try and send it in to Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called Menage a Trois by Liz Pennies. Liz has loved creating things ever since childhood, whether by making up games, drawing, painting, sculpting, or yes, writing. Nothing's ever been able to thwart that drive. She's the author of The Puerta Tempus, the first installment of a series about witches, vampires, death, betrayal, and more. A preview of the book can be found at lulu.com. Look for that link in our show notes. I always struggle with love. One bad relationship after another. Friends always gave me the same simple advice. Who would have thought they would be right? You need to love yourself before you can love another. Finally, I discovered love. True love. Can you believe it? The best relationship really is with yourself. Until a friend's slip of the tongue... Just a harmless phrase, some simple advice. My heart broke when I found out they were cheating. I don't share. Three's a crowd. I grabbed a knife. Me, myself, and I. Oh yes, one of us would have to go. And on that note, we bring you this week's feature story, a superhero tale about conquering, if not taking out a knife and stabbing the crap out of, one's own personal demons. We bring you A Matter of Size by Robert Jashonik. Mr. Jashonik is an award-winning writer whose fiction, comics, and podcasts have been published around the world. Robert's many twisted e-books are available for the Kindle, Nook, and other formats. Visit his website, thefictioneer.com, for more information. And watch for his novel of alternate realities, time travel, and rock and roll, My Favorite Band Does Not Exist, coming out in July 2011 from Clarion Books and Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. So without further ado, we bring you 
A Matter of Size by Robert Deshonik. They show it in slow motion three times from three different angles. The woman's bare foot plunging down through the frame, nails painted cherry red. Superhero Flyspeck, the bug wonder, stuck to a pest strip tacked to the wood floor. The foot dropping closer, ever closer, as Flyspeck struggles to break free. Lousy porn music jangles in the background, someone noodling on an electric guitar. We could still hear Flyspeck's voice and the rasping of the pest strip as he fights to free himself. Oh god, no, please no! His drawn out, distorted squeak is the sound a grown man's voice makes when he shrinks to five inches tall and is played back in slow motion. But the foot ignores him, stomps down on him with all its crushing force, and flyspeck splatters in all directions from under that foot, blood and goo squirting everywhere. No more screaming. Just an echoing, slow-motion splat. Turn it off. Dustmite, chairman of the Small Wonder Super Team, stumbles away from the screen, hands cupped over his eyes. Someone turns on the lights, and we're blinking at each other, eyes adjusting to the brightness. Seven of us sitting around the big oval meeting table in our secret lair, the mouse hole. Each one in a different superhero costume glittering with colors, electric blue and yellow and orange and green and red. The whole place smelling of coffee and sweat and farts. Wow. Tiny Tim shakes his head slowly, peels off his crimson domino mask and slaps it down on the meeting table. That makes three of us. Iota nods and wipes tears from under his purple cowl. Pinpoint, germ warfare, and now flyspeck. All gone. We're targets. Dustmite's voice trembles. He tugs at the hood of his pale gray bodysuit. Every costumed Avenger with the power to shrink. These small wonders are marked men. Little Lord Fauntleroy adjusts the frilly collar rising from under his blue velvet jacket. Whatever shall we do? I blow out my breath and swing my black boots off the table. You already know the answer to that. I roll to my feet and head for the door of the mouse hole. What answer is that? Says Fauntleroy. Do tell us, man-child. No more shrinkage. It's as simple as that. I shake my head as I swagger off down the Las Vegas Strip, surrounded by flashing neon at two in the morning, my black hair and hooded cloak rippling in the hot, dry wind, black silk mask wrapped around the lower half of my face, keeping out the swirling grit in the air, looking no weirder, drawing no more attention than any other freak on the prowl at this hour. If someone's targeting costumed vigilantes with shrinking-related abilities, you just need to swear off the powers, stay off the radar a while. No more crime fighting. Either that, or you use your damn powers to take action before you get stepped on, before your death gets turned into a viral porn video for the legion of nutsacks craving the ultimate crush fetish experience. Girl meets superhero. Girl stomps superhero. Which brings me to myself, Isaac Gideon, the one and only 
Manchild. What's my next step, given the crisis at hand? Rattle some cages. That's where I start. First stop, the gold doubloon off the Vegas Strip. Way off. One of those antique casinos that huddle in the shadows of the modern-day monstrosities, offering a taste of the Rat Pack era. Also, plenty of actual rats. Case in point, the big man at the ancient craps table across the smoky room. This is his personal sewer, and he's a walking encyclopedia of criminal activity. He'll have the answers I'm looking for. Some of them, at least. Meet Mammon. Well, look what the cat puked up. He laughs when he spots me. His huge hippo jowls flutter over the open collar of his tuxedo shirt. What a disgusting mess. There are twelve guys around the craps table, all laughing at Mammon's joke. Twelve of his toughest soldiers. <laughs> Man-child. Mammon cackles and jiggles in his lemon-yellow tuxedo. What the hell kind of name is that for a super-zero? I walk up, cracking my knuckles. Someone's making pornos with costumed Avengers. I shoulder two goons out of the way and lean my hip against the table. Against their will. Oh, dear. Mammon's eyes widen like saucers of milk. Well, that's just terrible. I refuse to be annoyed. Don't try and tell me you don't know who's doing this. And if I did, I'd buy him a drink. Mammon chortles and runs his disproportionately skinny fingers over his slicked-back salt-and-pepper hair. Hell, anyone who does that to a Super Zero is okay in my book. I need to find him. <laughs> Why? You want to volunteer? Mammon roars with laughter and rolls the dice on the table. <laughs> you want to be in the pictures, huh? Like the latest fashion. My blood pressure rises. I look around, sizing up the goons in the room, getting ready for a fight. Tell me what you know. Why? Mammon grins. What are you gonna do if I don't? Are you talking back to me? I proceed to kick 13 asses at once using my gimmick, my power. One minute I'm in range of a pile driver punch heading straight for my face. The next minute I'm three feet shorter and the punch flashes past over my head. One minute a goon has me in a half Nelson, dead to rights, while another goon aims to kick at my gut. The next minute I'm little again, sliding out of the half Nelson and dropping fast as one goon's kick lands hard in the other goon's belly. Come out and play. I shrink from the paths of ball bats and bullets and knives, then grow to my full six feet five and knock down bad guys like ducks at a carnival shooting gallery. And in the end, when everyone's down and Mammon's the only villain still conscious, I rub it in. I interrogate him in my smaller form, the three foot five version, the little boy I become when I use my powers. My seven-year-old self, the other half of my superhero name, Manchild. I want Mammon to remember who held the knife at his throat at this moment. Now tell me. I say it in the high-pitched voice of a seven-year-old boy. What do you know about the porn? One clue. One name. That's all Mammon gives me. But it's enough. I drive through the darkness in my 74 Dodge Dart. My home, in other words. If not for the dart, I'd be sleeping on the street. Have I mentioned how the recession's been kicking my ass lately? Rewards for good deeds and rounding up wanted criminals have gotten fewer and farther in between. On top of that, I lost my day job as a contract custodian, and then my wife, Sheba, left me. 
Though maybe that wasn't such a surprise. Feels like I'm rolling downhill fast these days. Like the darkness that haunts me is gaining ground. The darkness that drives me to do what I'm doing. Whatever the cost. Because I know what it's like to be forced to do something against your will. Believe me, I know exactly what that's like. I've been there, and I can never forget it. And I know, sometimes, you have to ask yourself one question. If I don't go and find justice, who else is going to do it? No one but me. I'm the only one standing on the sidewalk in front of the Lucky Penny laundromat at three in the morning, but the lights are bright inside, and I know he's there. Stigmata always has a lot of laundry to do, what with the bloody wounds of Christ constantly popping up on his hands, feet, and side. The guy practically lives here, even fences stolen loot and sells weed here. I don't see him, but I can feel his eyes on me as I walk through the door. The baking desert heat gives way to the air-conditioned coolness and the smell of detergent and bleach. I take three steps and stop by the first row of washing machines. Stig, I got a paying job for you. Lying's the only possible way to avoid a problem here. Stigmata's paranoid, delusional, and a first-class hater of costumed Avengers. The only sound in the room is the rolling hum of a dryer, the clacking of buttons against the dryer's spinning metal drum. Come on, Stig. I take two more steps. Let's talk, man. Just talk. Next thing I know, a heavy pair of wet blue jeans whacks me in the head, takes me totally by surprise, and I turn, at which point scrawny stigmata leaps at me from behind a washing machine, clamps both bloody hands around my right arm, shooting bolts of searing pain from the open wound in his palms. As I scream, he nails me again, one hand on my chest, one hand on my throat, scalding me, howling with animal rage as he does it. I'm in shock for precious seconds, and my mind flashes back in time. All of a sudden, in my memory, I'm a child again in the grip of a monster. My head spins and my heart pounds with horror. It all rushes back in a crushing wave, all the agony from the childhood trauma that feels like it happened only yesterday or last week. But the feeling doesn't last. I am a man, no longer helpless, and I'll never surrender. The one thing stronger than the terror of that memory is my determination never to let it happen again. I hurl aside the memory and lunge back to the present. Gathering all my strength, I heave off Stigmata, sending him sprawling over the washing machines. He quickly springs from the washers and sprints for the door. I take two big strides at full height, then dive headfirst and slide across the floor, transforming to a kid mid-slide, turning small enough to slip between his legs. When I shoot out in front of him, I turn grown up again. Stigmata trips over me and crashes into the closed front door, then slides to the floor. Outside, a young woman with an empty pink laundry basket watches with interest. Can I still get my load out of that dryer? She shouts through the glass. I let her take all her clothes except two pairs of jeans. I need them to tie up Stigmata. By the time the woman clears out, I've got Stigmata wrapped up like a turkey on his belly on top of the washers, hands and feet trussed up behind him where his wounds can't do me any harm. Tell me about the hero porn. I hold up his head by a fistful of long brown hair. Who hired you? <laughs> Your mama, man baby. Stigmata hawks up a loogie. Before he can spit it at me, I bounce his face off the white metal lid of the washer. Freaking tell me. I already know you were part of this. With my wounds? That'd be some freaky ass porn. 
Stigmata emits a bubbling snicker through the blood oozing from his broken nose. Mammon said they use you as bait. I lift up his head and stare into his bloodshot eyes. He smells like pot and piss. You lure the costumed Avengers with some half-assed criminal escapade, get them close enough for an ambush by taser. Again with the bubbling snicker. <laughs> and you think they did this, why? To put the good guys in a porno? Snuff porn, crush porn. I give his skull another bounce. For pervs who get off on seeing things crushed. This time, Stigmata laughs out loud. <laughs> and that's, that's different from you. How, exactly? I don't kill him. That's how I'm different. Smartass Stigmata gets to go on stinking up Vegas. And that's all he needs to know. Why bother explaining to a cockroach why my life is in ruins? Why I can never shake the memories of being victimized? No matter how hard I try, I can never forget. No matter how many scumbag assholes I beat senseless. No matter how much justice I seize for the victims. None of it takes away the memories of being attacked. Of being lured to a crime scene and captured when my guard was down. Just as I transformed into a seven-year-old boy. Drugged to the point of helplessness, I was trapped in the body of a child. I was outnumbered, overpowered, pinned down. Violated. Just think how that would incinerate your soul. You have the mind of an adult, keenly aware of the full reality of what's happening and what's to come, and in the body of a child, unable to break free. It's the kind of nightmare that makes the worst nightmare you can imagine seem like the sweetest dream. And it's still as fresh in my mind as if it happened last week. Because it did. I can't forget it. No matter how many times I pound Stigmata's head off the washing machine, even after he's told me what he knows, even after he's given me a lead in the case, did getting off ever have anything to do with it? voice bursts out at me when I crack the door. Looking in, I catch a glimpse of her naked, gyrating body through the cameras and crew, bathed in light on a vast bed in the middle of the soundstage. Looks like Stigmata might have sent me to the right place after all. Or is this just another warehouse-turned-porn factory? One of the crew shoos me out, and I close the door behind me. Nothing there I was looking for anyway. I walk across the hall and try another door. This time, it's girl-on-girl, on girl, on girl. I move on, reach for another door further down the line, and the second I crack it, I know. Time freezes as I listen to the distant voice crying for help. Not distant, tiny. I take a breath and hold the door steady. I count to three and decide on a strategy. As I push the door the rest of the way open, I let myself melt into my other form, the body of a seven-year-old boy with the rage of a 38-year-old man. As I charge across the room, the crew is startled. How did this little kid get in here? Somebody stop him. I duck and weave as they reach for me. I punch one guy in the balls and knock over a hot spotlight on another. Another guy gets a hold of my cloak, but I slip right out of it. Someone lands a kick on my back, but it's half-assed at best. Because here's the real secret of why my power is so much more awesome than you might think. Most grown-ups pull their punches when they're hitting little kids. 
So I get to the heart of the soundstage and nothing flat. And there he is. Dustmite, chairman of the small wonders, shrunk to six inches tall, stuck to a pest strip tacked to the floor. A blonde woman looms over him wearing a knee-length pink dress. Her feet are bare, her toenails painted cherry red. I recognize her instantly from the movies. How many costumed Avengers have those feet crushed already? Too many. There are almost too many porn creeps to fight, even for seasoned Avengers like us. And Dustmite isn't exactly 100% at this point. By the time the brawl's in full swing, I'll bet there are 30 assholes in there battling us, seven of them stark raving naked, fresh from the porno sets. But Dustmite and I take all comers, shrinking and growing in rapid succession, blinking big, little, big, little, big, pitting the clowns against each other by dodging their blows, then shooting up in full height to finish them off with blows of our own. Like machetes through sugarcane, we hack them down in clumps, two and three at a time, piling inert husks on studio floors, until only three of us remain. No, please! The killer cowers in a corner in her sweaty pink dress and bare feet. Please don't hurt me. We did it. Dustmite throws his arm around my shoulder. We took him down. The small wonders are safe once more. I shrug him off. We're not done here. Eyes on the barefoot woman, I pound my fist in the palm of my hand. We need information. Please. She shudders and shrinks away from me as I reach for her. I'll tell you anything. What do you want to know? Another name. She gives me another name. I speed across town in my Dodge Dart, running every red light. Not much traffic at five in the morning, which is good. My heart booms like thunder in my chest. Adrenaline sizzles through me like lightning. Almost there now. I'm closing in. What will it be like when I finish this? Can I ever throw aside the past? Will I ever forget what he did to me? I stomp the accelerator to the floor, and the car rockets down Las Vegas Boulevard. Pedestrians scatter from my headlights like rabbits, haunches flying. For an instant, I swear I can feel him in the car with me, watching me, haunting me like a ghost. Sometimes it's still like that, and other times I can't help but wonder. Am I the one doing the haunting? Little Lord Fauntleroy shakes his head. You already know the answer to that question, man-child. I ask it again anyway. Why did you make the movie? We're alone in the mouse hole where the barefoot porn star sent me standing at opposite ends of the big oval table where the small wonders hold their meetings. Even from here, I can see the nervous wiggle of his buttersoft fingers. <laughs> you know I'd never do that. Fauntleroy's laugh is forced. <laughs> Why, I'm as appalled by those crush films as you are. Not according to Lila Skintilla. I start walking around the table. The sound of my cracking knuckles echoes through the mouse hole. Lila says you run the whole operation. Fauntleroy rolls his eyes. Who the bloody hell is this Lila character? I keep walking towards him, boots scuffing on the floor, waiting for him to make his move. Quit jerking around. Tell me why you did it. Suddenly, little Lord Fauntleroy drops out of sight, pulling his usual trick. 
the one I've been expecting. Which is why I drop to three foot five at exactly the same instant, and I'm waiting for him where he scurries under the table. Oh, bollocks. His voice sounds like a Muppet gargling gravel. He looks like he's been stepped on, because that's his gimmick. Instead of shrinking proportionately, his body accordions down. He looks like a cartoon coyote who's just waddled out from under a giant anvil, eyes blinking between layers of furry pancake atop two tiny scuttling feet. Oh, it's a great gimmick for throwing an opponent off his game. Great for getting out of the way of fast things. But how great is it for fighting, say, a seven-year-old boy? He tells me everything by the time I'm done with him. Tells me how he made a small fortune on crush porn. Tells me how he planned to jumpstart his hero career by making himself the last shrinking Avenger standing by cornering the Mighty Might market. None of which puts an end to the ass kicking I'm giving him. Oh, bloody mother. Wait, stop. Fauntleroy's deformed accordion body flutters to the blood-streaked floor of the mouse hole. I told you I killed them. I told you about the bloody crush porn movies. I don't care about any of that. I haul back my foot for another kick. I need to know about the other movie. <laughs> I let the kick fly, and Fauntleroy squeals like a dog's rubber chew toy. Tell me! I lay into him again and again. Who made the movie with the kid? I find her in bed, at home, asleep. A sliver of light from the rising sun sliding up over her from between the drawn curtains. It doesn't seem possible that the one I've been hunting all night, all around town, is her. I sit on the edge of the bed and stroke her silky red hair. Her bright green eyes flicker open and she sees me. And she smiles. My wife, Sheba, Smiles like nothing's come between us, like she never walked away from me. She's as beautiful as ever. I feel sick in the stomach. I never imagined I could feel so much hate for someone I once loved. How could you? My voice is a whisper. A little frown creases Sheba's forehead. I don't understand. I know it was you. I keep stroking her hair. This could be a moment from five years ago, or three years, or one. Me coming back from a late night patrol, her waking up to greet me. I know everything, except why. Sheba sits up. Her face hardens like stone. I think you should leave, Isaac. I realize I can't reach her like this, and I'm not willing to beat a confession out of her. I'm afraid that once I start hitting, I might not stop until she's dead. So I change. The 38-year-old melts away, leaving the seven-year-old in his place. I take off my mask. Tears trickle down my face, the memory of what happened rising up within me, crushing me. So horrible, being so small and helpless, overpowered, unable to fight back. And this makes it a million times worse, like being violated all over again. Why, Sheba? I can't stop the tears. Why did you do it? She stares at me, frozen. She seems to have no intention of making this any easier. Why? I grab her hand before she can snatch it away. Sheba, why? 
Does she even have a clue how terrible it was being brutalized, victimized, with the camera rolling the whole time? How could she do it? I need to know. Tell me. I squeeze her hand harder. Her granite face flickers with emotion. Isaac, she ordered it from Fauntleroy. She paid for it. For your own good, she says. I did you a favor. A favor? I squeeze her hand harder. If I were in my adult form, I would break it. Sheba squeezes back. Turning into a little boy all the time, it's ruined you, held you back. She looks away. You're only half a man. My head is spinning. I live it all again in the spaces between her words. You need to grow up, says Sheba, like a normal human being. Stop playing superhero. Stop running away. I remember feeling it happen in gauzy slow motion through the drugs they gave me, begging them to stop, the words of an adult and the voice of a child, begging. No more second childhoods. Sheba wipes a tear from my cheek with her thumb. Or third or fiftieth or hundredth, time to go cold turkey to make you never want to be a child again. As hard as I drove myself to find out who was behind it, I wish I didn't know. And I wish I'd never heard the next word she said to me. Did it work, Isaac? She actually looks hopeful. Did it work? In a way, it did work, because it turns out Sheba was right. I'll hate her forever. She's rotting in prison, but she was right. I did need to make a choice. It was long past time for a change in the status quo, an insurrection to overthrow the spoiled tyrant of my life. And now that the uprising's finished, now that I've chosen, once and for all, it's really put things into perspective, answered a lot of questions. Like what, for instance? Superheroes and villains, or cowboys and Indians? Which do you want to play next? There's a moment I remember from when I was a kid. My best friend Billy McVicker and I are running around the backyard of my parents' home in Virginia, chasing between magnolias over a shimmering carpet of blue grass in the sunniest corner of summer. My mother steps out on the back porch with lemonade on a tray. She's a little gray, but still smiling. I'm smiling too, because I'm happy. Utterly, completely happy. Not a care in the world. And I finally know the answer to Billy McVicker's question. Well? Billy socks me in the arm. Which do you want to play next? Cowboys. I start running as I say it. And Indians. And I laugh as he chases me, shooting make-believe guns, riding make-believe horses, both of us laughing to the heights of the cloudless blue sky, hearts pounding like fireworks. Unburdened, unfettered, resilient and strong. Free of the darkness and willing to forget. I remember this moment well from when I was a kid. This morning. And now, and forevermore.
for yourself, my mind. You'll never be what is in your heart. Weep, little lion man. You're not as brave as you were at the start. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Talk about small man complex, huh? Bet you didn't see things going in that direction, did you? I sure didn't. But hey, that's cool. Gotta break that rhythm sometimes. You know, gotta keep off the downbeat. Oh yeah, it'll give you chlamydia. So yeah, you know how we roll. Lots and lots of love and care go into our productions here on the Drabblecast, not to mention lots of time and resources. We try to operate on what I think is the fairest and coolest business model possible. The operational costs of the show come from the people who like the show. If that was you this week, then consider making a donation to us. Just a little bit helps if that's all you've got. Your donations are paying authors for their work, and that's really cool. Find support links off of our website, www.drabblecast.org. You can sign up for a monthly automatic subscription, or you can just do so once. We really appreciate it. Well, this episode's run a little long, folks. Gonna wrap it up now. But not without a quick little twobble from this week's 100-character story winner, Muncie. Here it is. Adolph's sweet, Ava told me over coffee. But a little creepy. He's always invading my personal space. Also, Poland... Yeah, you think Hitler's bad at invading your personal space. Try dating yourself. Oh, snap! I mean, seriously, you make Hitler look like Mr. Perfect. Poland disagrees. Not everybody's into mustaches, I guess. But I think that we all agree, at least, that the downbeat is a total hoe-bag. Keep away from that skank like she's got the plague. The Wiener Plague. Anyways, 100-character stories are great, aren't they? Try writing one yourself and post it in our discussion forums off Drabblecast.org. Yours might be next week's winner. Also, follow us on Twitter if you want to read the winners early each week. We're at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, people. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever else people pick up podcasts. Tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Aaron Cambridge. Very classy man-child renditions there. Check out his work at cambridgestudios.net. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of associate editor Matthew Bay, a 1983 Mercury Comet, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that most grown-ups pull their punches when they're hitting little kids. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I 
wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.